the Holy Spirit and His gifts. By Rod Anderson. Lesson one. Father, we do indeed thank you once again for the great, great joy of your grace that's upon our lives. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for the mind of Christ tonight. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand you better. We do invite you, Holy Spirit. This is funny to say it this way, but we're, we want to learn of you. We're going to teach about what the Word of God says about yourself. And so we're asking you to please come and open up these things. Help us to know you. Help us to understand better what it means to yield to you. Help us understand better what your purpose is here in our lives and upon our lives. Guide us in the truth, we pray. Show us things to come. Increase our knowledge, Father. In Jesus' name, Father, we once again ask you to grant us your spirit of wisdom. We ask for wisdom. We ask for revelation and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. We ask again for the eyes of our understanding to be opened. We're asking for the eyes of our understanding to be opened so that we can see what is the hope of our calling, that we might know what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance which is within us, that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of this power that is to us who believe. So, Father, we trust you to help us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, open the Word of God to us, I pray. Amen. Amen. I've asked you to turn. I know you have your notes, but I'm going to give you some scriptures, first of all, that aren't on the notes. Uh, I have asked you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the very last verse of the entire book of 2 Corinthians. As we look at this here, and Paul finishes the entire book of Corinthians with this statement. This is what they call the grace, you know, what they say at the end of some services. But he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the Amplified, it says, the grace, the favor, and the spiritual blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the presence and fellowship the communion and the sharing together and the participation in the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So be it. Now, you will have heard me say in other courses that this, this verse from the King James was a verse that the Lord spoke to me many, many years ago in my Christianity when he said these are the three major areas he said that you're to give your entire life to as far as understanding. And he said, I want you to study to know me, but he said, I want you to understand the grace that came with my son, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the love of God. But he said what it means to communion with the Holy Spirit. He said, may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that struck me. It was a real strong statement to me all those years ago that there was these three things, each a particular work, as it were, a particular truth of the Godhead or the Trinity about the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Now, just let me ask you a question as we begin this entire study. Where is God on earth or in heaven? In heaven. I mean, yeah, we're not going to get theological now, but he's in heaven, right? <laughs> Where's the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians? He sits at the right hand of the Father. 
Now, the Holy Spirit, now think about this. He said in John, now turn to John 16. In fact, let me just go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. We'll just start this and go right to these. John 16, 7, he's um, speaking to his disciples, and he says something that I think is just so incredible. And hopefully you're familiar with the verse, but we're going to go over it anyhow. Uh, actually, we'll back up a little bit here in John 16. He's sharing with them that he's going to be leaving soon. And I'll start in verse 4, John 16, verse 4. Jesus said, But I have told you these things now, so that when they occur, you will remember that I told you of them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Verse 6, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts and taken complete possession of them. But really listen to verse 7. Think about what Jesus says here. He said, however, I am telling you nothing but the truth. I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say that it is profitable. Now, the King James says it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, it says the comforter will not come. That's how it reads in the King James. But let me read the whole thing in the Amplified. It says, however, I'm telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, it is good, it is expedient, it is going to be advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, and the Amplified, remember, it always gives us sevenfold meaning of the Holy Spirit. He said, if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. So as we start this course, I want you to really think about the fact that Jesus Christ made this statement. We've all heard about the Holy Spirit. We're all aware a little bit of the Holy Spirit. We are, most of us, I'm sure, in this room are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever phrases you want to use. But we need to ask the Holy Spirit as we walk through these things to really consider these things so that we have more than just a bunch of reference teaching. Because I want to get us to much more than that as we go through these, this eight-hour overview. But really think about the fact that these men have walked with Him for some three and a half years, remember. These disciples have been walking with what we call natural knowledge of Him. They've seen, they've witnessed the miracles. They've, they've witnessed the raising of the dead. They've witnessed the feeding of the multitudes. They've wit witnessed the healing of the sick. They've, they've witnessed all these things. And again, I always quote the last verse of the book of John. Remember, you've, I probably quoted every course we teach, where John said, had, I, had we written, remember, had we written all the things, all the things that we had witnessed, I do not suppose that the world itself would be able to contain the volumes there. And I just love that verse. When you think, in other words, that the Bible only records just the top of the tip of the iceberg of what these men actually witnessed. But with all that in mind, Jesus turns to him. He says, guys, I mean, think about it. All your faith has been in what you've seen with your eyes. You've walked with this man for three and a half years. You have been an eyewitness to everything that's taken place in this guy's ministry, in his life. You've seen so much. I mean, like I said, just really hear that verse, that last verse out of, the, out of John 21. We saw so many things that we do not suppose that the world itself would be able to contain the books <laughs> to write down all the things we witnessed as we walked with this Jesus of Nazareth for these three and a half years. I mean, all the experiences they've had, every single one of them all put together, 
is what their faith was really based upon. They had seen with their eyes, they had felt with their hands, you know, they had experienced with their five physical senses all of this miraculous work of the Lord. And now he turns to them and he says something that again is amazing. He said, guys, it's going to be better for you when I'm gone. Now, put yourself in their position when they hear that. Uh, it's going to be better for you when I'm gone. You have to see what a shocking statement that is because their faith, like I said, was more than naturally based in the man, Jesus Christ, because he carried this incredible anointing. But Jesus said this. He said, it's going to be expedient. And again, the word expedient means it's going to be, like it says, advantageous, beneficial. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for you. So it must have been an incredible thing for them to comprehend in the light of what they'd experienced over three and a half years. So this understanding, Jesus, when he speaks of how much better it's going to be, there's, there's enough truth in that for us to look at for the rest of our Christian experience. But of course, to just cut to the chase here as we begin this whole overview, remember that Jesus Christ was a man. He had stripped himself again. Philippians says that Jesus had stripped himself of all of his Godhead powers. It says that he laid down his deity, as it were. Yes, he was 100% God, but in his God powers, or he laid down, the Bible says, his Godhead powers, and he became as a man. That's what it says, remember, categorically. So the thing is, every single miracle he worked, every single thing he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit, didn't he? That's what it says. He said, in fact, Jesus said in places, remember, he said, why do you call me good? He said, there be none good but the Father. And he said unto them, the works that I do, he said, the Father which dwelleth within me, he doeth the works. Jesus was very quick to always point people to really the presence of God or the Spirit of God, because that's really what he was saying. The Father, Jehovah God, as it were, that part of the Godhead, that person of the Godhead was not in him. But no, the Spirit of God was the one that was within him and upon him. Now, this is one of the things we're going to talk about over this course is the difference between the spirit within and the difference between the spirit upon because there's two major issues there. There's the spirit of God that's within us when you get born again, but then there's the outworking of the spirit of God upon us. The simplest way to explain this is the spirit of God within you benefits you. Did you hear me? The spirit of God within you benefits you. The spirit of God upon you benefits others. So Jesus was one man. The Bible says that the Spirit of God, when, John, when he was baptized by John, John saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove, right? So he was filled, as it were. Jesus Christ was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like we were, because again, you have to keep remembering that. For Jesus Christ to have done anything that is not available for us to do would give, as it were, an unfair advantage to that whole truth. But Jesus also said, remember in the book of John, that the works that I have done, you shall do also. And indeed, greater works than these shall you do because I return unto my Father. I'm going unto the Father. But again, the reason he says greater, greater doesn't mean bigger than because you can't get much bigger than raising the dead. But greater means far more by number. So the major point of what I'm trying to say as we introduce this is whereas there was one man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it's going to be much better for you when I'm gone because he said, the Holy Spirit, the comforter is going to come. And he said, he's going to be with you and going to be, remain with you forever. Now, there's several other verses we'll get to in a while. 
But whereas there was one man filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, now there's going to be multitudes of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people filled with the very same Spirit, possessed of the very same Spirit, with the very same Spirit within them, and the opportunity for the very same Spirit to come upon them and manifest Himself through them. So this is again why you've heard me refer to in other courses what Satan saw on the day of Pentecost. Uh, must have blown his ever-living mind because he thinks, remember, it says, had the gods of this world known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory, remember. But they crucified him. They took him to hell, thought they had him. And, of course, the Bible says that Jesus hurled back principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He spoiled principalities and powers. Then he led captivity captive. Hallelujah. In other words, all those people that had died before the coming of Christ that had gone to paradise, that second compartment of hell that was that the Bible teaches in the, Old, in the Old Testament. And he leads all the captivity captive, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, every prophet, every saint of the Old Covenant was raised from the dead that day. In other words, they were carried out of paradise into the presence of God in heaven. Before that, the Bible teaches that they weren't there. But the point is, so what did Satan see on the day of Pentecost? Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's in the streets and he, he speaks to his disciples and he tells his disciples, don't do anything, I want you to wait, tarry, in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes upon you. Remember? He said, I don't want you to do anything until you got the Holy Ghost. Would that preachers today understood this. <laughs> he said, I don't want you to do anything until you got the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Even Jesus' ministry, he's 30 years old before his ministry ever starts, but his ministry starts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Isn't it? It starts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. It starts, the Master, Jesus, the Lord, the one we call Lord and Savior. His ministry actually begins with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then when he's about to leave, he tells them after he's raised, well, he leaves, he's raised from the dead, he appears to them, and he said, wait in Jerusalem. I don't want you to do anything. You tarry here until the Spirit from on high comes upon you. So that happens. He's raised, he then ascends to the Father, and then the book of Acts teaches how Peter and the rest of the disciples are in the upper room when suddenly it says again, you know, a rushing mighty wind comes upon them. The Spirit of God is likened unto wind, water, air. But the Spirit of God comes and they're all filled with the Spirit of God. And it said they all begin to speak in other languages and all the multitudes that are outside because it's still a feast time begin to hear them. And they're amazed because they hear them glorifying God in their own language. But again, the point I want you to see real quick, I'm not going to preach that because you've, you've heard me refer to it too many times. But whereas Satan had one man filled with the Holy Spirit, I, this was a, a, the title that somebody gave this sermon many, many years ago, What Satan Saw on the Day of Pentecost. Think what happened when he looked and he saw, oh my God, we had one guy that was filled with the Spirit of God. Now we got 120 on the day of Pentecost and within a matter of hours, Peter preaches a sermon. We got thousands of people filled with the very same spirit that God had put upon the Lamb of God himself. And this is the very same spirit that's in us today and the very same spirit that's yearning to move through us today, praise God. So again, for years, for centuries, a lot of teaching has come down the ramp to try to dilute the power or the, or the truth about the Holy Ghost, what it means. They, they call him an it, he's a, or whatever. But the Holy Spirit is that third person of the Godhead that is with us today. The Father is in heaven. The Son sits at the right hand of God. 
but it is the Holy Spirit who is not only within us, but around us. He's here now. He's here tonight, isn't he? I mean, he's here inside of me. He's inside of every one of you that are born of God. And he also wants to come upon us, and that's something else that we'll talk about, like I said, as we get going in these things. But the point is, so many of the, so much of the body of Christ has not learned how to do what that last verse of 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians says, how to commune or fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead that is within us right now. And He is ready, and He is willing, and He is able to show us all things that the Father taught the Son. And He's willing to guide us in the very same way that He led the Son. And thank God the world is full of some people that have learned how to be led by Him. But like anything else, why we're going to go over all these things is because, remember, whatever these truths are that God reveals to us in the Scripture, you have to learn how to release your faith for them. The more you know about Him, the more you'll know how to recognize Him. It's just like recognizing anybody else. So we're going to learn about Him. We're going to just look at some very basic Scriptures. We have to cover some very, very basic Scriptures. But hopefully it's going to help you once we go through this to have a better understanding because He wants to show Himself alive to you. Somebody say amen. Make me feel good, all right? Amen. Just make me feel better. I appreciate it. Praise God. Anyhow, hallelujah. He does. It's going to be better. Now, Billy Graham made a statement. Um, it's credited to him that I wanted to read. I've got it on my notes. Like I said, it's not on yours. But I, he said 95% of today's church activities, listen to this, 95% of today's church activities would continue if the Holy Spirit was taken from us. In the early church, 95% of all her activities would have stopped if the Holy Spirit was removed. Now, did you hear what he's meaning by that? Today, so little of what we do is probably authored, ordained by God's Spirit, that if God's Spirit, he said, was taken completely away from the earth, most churches wouldn't even recognize the difference because they're operating in things that have been authored and initiated by man not initiated by the Spirit of God. But now that's Billy Graham that said that. So that's even, you know, he's quite conservative. But even for him to say that, I thought was incredible. And John chapter 15, John chapter 14, apologies, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, this is what Jesus said. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So I want you to see that. It speaks here of the Spirit of God being in you, okay? Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I just referred to earlier, where Jesus tells them to tarry, Jesus said this to the disciples. It says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So John 14 speaks about, Jesus speaks about the Spirit of God being in you. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. In other words, after the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, he said, it's going to cause your life to witness Jesus Christ. 
In other words, your life is going to manifest and begin to testify of Jesus Christ, which is what the Holy Spirit came to do is show Jesus, convict the world of sin, and reprove the world because they believe not on him. Now, again, another one about the Spirit of God within you is John chapter 4, verse 14. John 4, 14 says this, But whosoever drinketh, Jesus said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him. Not upon here, but in him, a well of water. Everybody say a well. Yeah. It's going to be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Now the final one I want to show you on this, where it doesn't say upon, but this refers to it, is of course John chapter 7, verse 37, 38, and 39. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, where Jesus said, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of, and those are the words that you, I want you to see there, out of, in other words, not within, but just like the Spirit of God being upon you. Because remember, let me, let me backtrack a moment. Remember what I said. The Spirit within benefits you. Right? Did you hear me? But the Spirit upon is going to benefit others. So that's where, why we can say from there. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture says, out of. In other words, there's going to be a flow out of us. There's going to be a flow out of us. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. All right? So if you can catch that, it's the Spirit of God within. There's two basic issues that are at hand here when you talk about the Holy Spirit that will help you if you'll think about it. There's the Holy Spirit within. In fact, in a good Bible school, they'll talk to you about this, that the Holy Spirit within benefits you, and the way it benefits you, it speaks about it takes you to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It says the fruit of the Spirit is manifest, which is this, and it speaks about the very first one being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all. Or it lists nine fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit, listen, fruit brings nutrition to the people who eat of it, right? It benefits you, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, because when you're born of God, I don't want to get way ahead of myself, but remember when you're born of God, when you get born again, the Spirit of God comes within you. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can prove, which we will later, it's, it's, we can sh we'll show you right in Scripture, is a subsequent experience. <coughs> In other words, it's a second experience that's not the same. When you're born again, you're filled, or excuse me, I've got to say it right. When you're born again, the Spirit of God comes within your spirit. The heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is placed there in its stead. And it speaks about the Spirit of God comes within you. But see, for years and years and years, the church used to teach that once you're born again, you've got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. But again, we'll show you categorically out of Acts 19 and a couple other places where it just flat says that's not the case. It's because Paul will say this. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I don't want to go and teach it yet. But Paul said when he came to, the, to uh, after Cornelius' house, he said, 
he came to these people and he made this statement. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? You hear the difference? They'd already believed. They were already born of God. They were already born of the Spirit. But he said there was something else. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So anyhow, back to this now. The Holy Spirit within, the Holy Spirit upon. The Holy Spirit within benefits you. And the way it benefits you is because it begins to manifest this fruit. And there are nine fruit of the Spirit. This list in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit upon will begin to benefit others, and that's where you go to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and you have listed what? The nine gifts of the Spirit. So you have the nine fruit of the Spirit that benefits you, and you have the nine gifts of the Spirit that God's hoping will be given away by you that learn how to yield to His Spirit. You guys still with me? Everybody just smile at me anyhow. So. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, anyhow, so we got that. I wanted you just to catch that. So also in, in John chapter, like I said, 4, he says that, I'm going to quote John 4, 14 again. Jesus said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well. So he said there's going to be a well of water that's within you. But then in John 7, he said, But out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so then you have to look at it this way, too. The Spirit of God, here's two different ways that it is. There's water that comes from the well, but then there's water. There's the water that flows in a river. And there are two different waters. A well produces something different than a river does. And we'll get to that later, so don't, don't freak out. But just think about it. He says the, wa the water within you, the Spirit of God within you, is going to be like a well for you to drink from, you to draw up from, draw deep. Isaiah 12, you'll learn to draw deep from the well of salvation that is within you. But the river is something that's supposed to benefit the rest of mankind because the river is going to go out and flow. And where a river goes, remember Ezekiel 47? When I teach on tongues, we'll get to that in this course afresh. Wherever the river goes, everything will live. We're supposed to be releasing this life so that others might live. Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay, now then, on the notes. Let us get to the actual notes here, and um, let's see where we go. And like I said, uh, the, this first night tonight, like I said, I've got to go through some very, very, very basic things. So you're going to have to love me anyhow, or you won't go to heaven, like I always say, all right? Now, uh, again, right here. Okay, lesson number one, the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's scriptural proof of the Trinity. I'm just going to read right from the outline. In other words, where it speaks of the three in one. And again, you say, well, I know this. I already believe this. Why do I have to be shown this? Well, because you need to know, like everything about Scripture and what you believe, you need to know why you believe what you say you believe. So you need to be able to know where these verses are. But in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So again, basically, it's just for you to see that Jesus Christ himself speaks of the three. I mean, you do know that there's arguments in all manner of theolo theological organizations about whether or not there even is such a thing as a trinity. 
But the Bible speaks very clearly that it speaks of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have a Dake's Bible at home. Finnis Dake was a guy from Scotland who was an incredible um, biblicist, an incredible theologian. And a Dake's Bible or a Dake's Study Bible, if it's hard to get them anymore, but it's a good, it's a good study Bible to have. Uh, he, also have a, he also has another book called God's Plan for Man by Dake, where he has these incredible Bible studies that I've yet to see anybody uh, do. But anyhow, he was very much, well, like a mathematician. He shows, he, he has in, for proving the Trinity, I, I can't quote you the exact number, but it is amazing what he did. He has like 137 references to character traits or characteristics of the Father that are not attributed directly to the Son or to the Holy Spirit. Another like 120-something that are attributed to Jesus that are not attributed to the Father or the Holy Spirit. Like another 130 that are attributed to the Holy Spirit that are not attributed to the Father or the Son. But the point of all that is not to get you going crazy, but to understand that there are, we're talking about three separate individuals here. Now, Individuals you are to get to know. You can talk about God, but this is why, again, when we come to all this, I'm concerned that I, I, I want to go back and forth into some things because I don't want to just teach you about somebody. I want you to know that it's like we say when we taught on blood covenant or anything else. When you Theologians, theology, remember what we said? Theology, theology means study of. Theology is the study of God. But there's all the difference in the world between theology and, and Christianity because Christianity speaks of a relationship with God. In other words, it's the difference between you being taught or said, let's say somebody's told you about Rod Anderson. Well, that's a frightening consideration, <laughs> deeply frightening. So somebody's told you about me and they've described me to you as being this super handsome individual. That's because they walk by faith and <laughs> not by sight, and they, they live obscurely. But anyhow, they, 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 talk, they say, you know, and so you learn about me. But all I'm trying to say is, isn't it much different when you know about somebody as opposed to when you finally meet them and you shake hands with them and you get to know them, especially if you get to know them in casual situations where you can relax with each other? And I, I you know, I wrote something down, and I hope I don't freak anybody out when I use this illustration, but... Uh, even with the Word of God, because how many of you, you guys have been listening to most of you for a long while, how many of you know I am a big believer in the Word of God? What I mean is I believe in reading this Bible. I believe in knowing this Word inside and out as best as you can. Now, you know I believe that, don't you? I'm a, I'm a Word man, as I say. I believe in the Word of God. But hopefully at the same time, I, I hope that I've never communicated to you that the Word of God is above uh, or more important than being led by God's Spirit or hearing from Him. Because while the Spirit of God will never violate what the Word teaches, I guarantee you that the Spirit of God is very comfortable with taking you outside of the experience of what you think the Word of God teaches. Now, you'll have to think on that for a while. But no, well, let me put it this way. Jesus said this. He didn't say, my sheep shall know my book. He said, my sheep shall know my voice. Are you listening? Jesus also said another place, he said, you make the word of God of no effect by your tradition. In other words, tradition can make everything that the word really tries to communicate 
into nothing. But another one that's even more frightening, as Jesus said in another place, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find me. Now, what he was saying is, you can get, see, he was speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees. They were so caught up in knowing the verses that they didn't know the person that the verses were trying to portray, the person that the verses were trying to point and reveal. And see, this is something that only knowing how to commune with the Holy Spirit can keep you free from. Our churches, listen, are full of people who know the Bible. There are theologians out there that know the Bible like they know their name as far as the theory of it, the doctrine of it, and what have you, but they've not known Him. It's like, again, the basic truth. Remember when God led Israel out of Egypt, that cloud by day, or the cloud by day and the fire by night? They learned to move. They only moved when that representation of the Spirit of God moved. And what I'm trying to say is we've got to learn how to yield to the Spirit of God. Again, like Moses said in Exodus, he said, except your presence goes with me, I'm not going anywhere. But we, again, I'm going to, like, listen to what Billy Graham said again, that statement of him, because I figured if I quoted him, nobody would get mad. <laughs> that 95%, think about that, 95% of today's church activities would continue if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the earth. It's an incredible statement when you really think of it. Because, in other words, we're so used to just, we've got our structure so in place, we have our structure so in place on Sunday mornings, Woe be to anybody if the Spirit of God comes in and wants to change something. So this is why we have to talk a little later about what it means to grieve the Spirit of God. Because you've heard me say this a lot, He is a gentleman. He is a gentleman. He will never force Himself on us in any way, shape, or form. You have to learn how to yield to Him. And it's something that takes practice. But again, He is a person. And what I started to say earlier is I want you to get to know Him. Him. This is what, again, the last verse of, of 2 Corinthians says. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Learn how to fellowship, partnership, commune with the Holy Spirit. Benny Hinn, of course, wrote that book years ago, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And it all speaks to this. I mean, all the great, great healing revivalists you study, Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Coleman, you know, or, you know, Wigglesworth, all of them, they all talk about how they had to learn how to listen for that voice. But hear me again. Jesus didn't say, my sheep shall know, will know my book. He said, they'll know my voice. He didn't say that you don't know the book. See, I don't want you to think I'm discounting what I teach you. I, 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 you know I do all the way. But again, I don't want you to fall prone to what so many do. Again, they get so hooked up in just knowing the verses that they forget what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.16. He said, thank God that he's made me an able minister of the spirit of the New Testament and not the letter. He said, because the letter will kill you. That's literally what it says. I think it's 2 Corinthians 3.6. 2 Corinthians 3.6. Thank God he's made me an able minister of the spirit of the New Testament. He's an able minister of the spirit. Just stop right there. He said, he's made me an able minister of the spirit, not of the letter. Because the letter kills. That's what it says. The letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. And again, there are so many churches that have a lot of teaching, 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 but it's dry as dust, and by the time you get done, you, you feel like you've been killed. 
But the Spirit, wherever God's Spirit is, there's, there's life. Another verse that kind of is, well, it's not that it's misquoted, but people don't, in the Greek, it's, it reads a little different. The Bible says in the book of James that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Actually, in the Greek, it says where the Spirit is Lord, there's liberty. Where the Spirit is Lord, there's liberty. If there's not much liberty in our meetings, then often there's not much freedom or yielding to the Spirit of God. Religious mindsets, religious people get frightened the moment anybody tries to begin to listen to the Spirit of God because what happens when you separate yourself only from scriptural understanding, only from doctrine, what you feel is fear because you're out of control. You want to be in control of everything. But when you start being led by the Spirit of God, you, I'll tell you what you have to learn real quick. You have to learn faith and you learn what the principle of risk is because you have to step out into something that you can't figure out with your mind. See, it's like this. The, the same old-fashioned church that doesn't mind at all when the Spirit of God moves upon people and they start to cry has freaked out over the last several years when the Spirit of God moved upon people and they began to laugh. Because, you see, if it's outside, okay, now I'm going to throw something out that's really going to freak you out because you're going to think, I'm not contradicting anything. How many times have you heard me say that you do not interpret God's Word through experiential knowledge? Amen? And I stick by that. I go, by, I go to my grave saying that. You do not take an experience and judge God's Word. You take a word, as it were. You take the Word of God and you, as it were, judge away an experience. Now, the Spirit and the Word, as we're going to see later, always agree. But this is, again, something my spiritual dad, Ed Cole, used to teach us over and over again. He said, everything God does, He does according to a pattern and based upon a principle. So the problem is with us is we've taken, we've taken the scriptural evidence of things that happened and we've made them into a form that says this is the only way this happens. When again, remember like you've heard me say when we talked about healing in the four Gospels, there are 14 specific acts of healing. But again, quoting the very last verse of John, remember, they saw so many more healings, but the Spirit of God thought it right to put in these 14. They're the tip of the eye. In other words, they show patterns of how healings occurred, patterns of how things happened. We're to learn the Spirit, how the Spirit operated through that more than just the letter of what happened. We're to understand the Spirit behind what happened. Now, I said all that to say this. I do not believe on living your life based upon experiences. However, however, now you really need to listen to me so you don't think I'm contradicting myself. If all you have is the Word of God without an experience, you're never, ever going to enjoy your Christianity, and you're going to just go nuts. Because if you truly begin to walk in the Word of God and truly begin to teach the Word of God and understand the Word of God, I guarantee you the Word of God will lead you to an experience. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because an experience is what produces the life Otherwise, it just, it's just old and musty. I mean, trust me. So what God's interested in is an encounter. 
It's one of the things I pray for all the time for people. I pray, like I said, what changed my son's life. Like I said, when my son got into rebellion and what have you, and he had been around church a lot, but he got into all kinds of rebellion. Like I said, he was running out. He started smoking marijuana and, you know, he had earrings. Not that I'm against anything weird, but I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, he had rings all over himself and, you know, he was, like I said, he's too good looking. So I had too many women around him all the time. And, you know, young man just, and just going through all these changes and God rebuked me one day and said, you know, you're not practicing what you preach. And I thought, what are, you know, thanks a lot. What have I done? And he said, I want you to take these things that you teach about prayer and apply them to your own son. He said, you begin to pray this prayer every day. And I began to pray that prayer. God grant my son your spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of his understanding. And I did. And, God, and within 11 days, he'd been in rebellion for two and a half years. And I mean, 11 days later, my son comes and sits down next to me. I think I've told you the story. 11 days later, he sits down next to me and I'm reading a paper. And he says, Dad, he said, uh, my friends aren't going anywhere, are they? And I said, I just kind of shocked me because I was, I said, well, no, not really, because they're all messed up. And he said, hmm, and he just got up and walked off. The next day I came home, his hair was cut, and the next day he was enrolled in a Bible college in Chicago, Illinois. I mean, for two, from three years of flat out stone cold rebellion, smoking weed, running around with girls, doing everything he's not supposed to do. He's in a Bible school. And of course, today, any Bible schools are really bridal schools. That's where most, that's the joke in America. If you go to Bible school, it's really a bridal school because everybody gets married. They say they're not going to, but they do. So Jamie went over there and got married and married Alicia. And now, you know, they're over here in full time in ministry. But Jamie still had all kinds of struggles uh, because, you know, he'd been brought up. He was church wise. You know what I mean by that? You can be church wise, like street wise. You can, you can know how to talk Christianese instead of Japanese. You know, you hallelujah, glory to God. You can have all the Christianisms, as it were. And he was having a tough time, and the Lord stopped me, and he said, I want you to pray for him that he'll have his own personal visitation. Everybody needs their own encounter. They really do. And see, I want you to have faith for that, because that's what the Spirit of God is in the business of doing, is bringing you into a place where you have your own personal encounter. Because i got to tell you something. All of my teaching, anybody's teaching on the planet, won't be a hill of beans. Uh, it'll just tickle your ears and you'll like my teaching until you find somebody else that has better teaching skills than you'll like them until you find somebody else that has better teaching skills than them or whatever and you'll go from doctrine to doctrine. But all I know is this. When you have an encounter which God wants every single one of His children to have, when you have a personal encounter with the Lord, that will change you. And that, that's, that's something that just touches you. Jamie had one at Ash Burnham. I, I prayed and God brought a group of singers from the States over and this young man just had, he was the one who, who touched Jamie's heart and they bowed down together in the center of a big basketball court and uh, the Spirit of God fell on Jamie and touched him in a way he wept probably for, I don't know how long he wept, but I mean, God just touched him and he had his own encounter. But again, the illustration I use is consider this. this, this so I want you, so God wants you to have an experience. See, I don't want you, but I, so this is why I don't want you to mishear me. You don't live your life by experiential knowledge. You don't weigh the Word of God by experience. You weigh experiences by the Word of God. However, if you're in the Word of God, if you are after God, I guarantee you God's heart, God's desire is to lead you to an encounter, lead you to an experience. This is why it's so important. You can study the Bible for all of your life and never have much joy. P picture this. If nobody gets shook up at me by using this illustration. Can you imagine boy meets girl 
I mean, can you imagine, I'll speak from a man's perspective. You meet this girl, she's the most beautiful thing you ever met in your life, like me and my wife, Julie. So I meet Julie, she's, she's so gorgeous, she's beautiful, I love her to bits. And, but I've never, ever, all my time of dating her, I never, ever, 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 ever get to touch her hand even, nothing. How about then you get married? What if you get married? Think, can you imagine you get married and you're never allowed to kiss your wife? <laughs> I mean, what I'm trying to say is to have that experience, to have that relationship without ever having the encounter would make that a very boring relationship. Think about the frustration you'd have if you're in love with somebody and you can't kiss them, you can't hold their hand. What I'm trying to say to you is God wants a whole lot more than you just to, to have the knowledge of them. I could have the knowledge, Julie, I can explain what she looks like, I can tell you what her habits are, you know, I can tell you what she likes to do for recreation. Well, see, this is the same thing. You can get in the Bible, you can learn about God, you can find out how He acts in places, you can talk about Him to the cows come home, go to four-year, six-year Bible colleges, learn all about Him, and never kiss Him. Never let Him kiss you. Never let Him take you by the hand and hold you. The first time when you're actually, now don't get mad at me. I mean, you know, when you fall in love, you know, or something like, you know, when you're a little kid, like I tell when I teach in the love one, the first time that person that you adore, the first time you touch their hand, electricity just goes everywhere. Unless you're just so cold-blooded that you don't know zip. <laughs> but I mean, I don't care who you are. The first, that first time when you really, really care, unless you've been hardened through so many 40,000 bad relationships, but I mean, especially when you're very, very young, I always tell people, go back to the very, very first experience you ever had, what we call puppy love in the States. The very first time when you, <gasps> you know, I mean, you're hard, you know. But the first time you were actually, it, like you touched just her hand, just touched her hand. I mean, you know, it was like, oh. And that's what God wants. See, this is what I'm trying to say. So this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He, God is love. Well, Therefore, He is love. The Spirit of God is love. And He's trying to bring us to a place where we have far more than just head knowledge, but He wants to bring us to a point of experience. Okay? And we're going to stop there for this first hour. Father, we thank You for the Word of God, and we thank You, Holy Spirit. We so long for You to come and make Yourself real to us. And we're trusting You to do just that as we read and learn of You and consider better how to yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.